BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is the Michael Singleton Show. My first guest uh, is a friend of the show. He's been on many, many times. Uh, Curtis Valentine. He's a Morehouse man, my dear Morehouse brother. Uh, he's a professor. He's an elected official. <laughs> so should I go on? He's also the director, co-director rather, of PPI Reinventing, uh, Reinventing Men, Reinventing America's Schools Project, rather, excuse me. And Curtis is someone with a huge expertise in education, both locally where he's at in Maryland, but also nationally. He's a recognized voice. Uh, his expertise is called upon by universities and institutions and lawmakers at the local, state, and federal level to give his advice and assessments on how we can improve our education system in America. So the reason I wanted to have Curtis on uh, today's show for our new listeners is because we just had two major Supreme Court rulings, one on affirmative action as it pertains to Harvard, uh, and then another on Joe Biden's student debt forgiveness plan, which if you guys are familiar with my position on this, I never quite believed that the executive branch had the authority to do so, not because I didn't agree with the attempts, but because I did not believe the executive had the constitutional authority to do so. Uh, so Curtis, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on to help me break this all down. No, man, I'm, I'm glad to be here. And if if you're keeping score, it's uh, Shermichael Singleton one, uh, Biden administration zero as it relates to, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, the, the council's office in the White House. Um, and so I guess you, if you have any friends in there, you can you can uh, celebrate your one upmanship on them. My one up. Right. We'll see what happens in 2024. <laughs> so. So, Curtis, I want to get your initial assessment on student loan forgiveness and then give me your thoughts on affirmative action and we'll and maybe we'll loosely touch on affirmative action i really want to dive in though on student loan forgiveness biden just forgave i believe a little over 30 billion i think yesterday or the day before do you think that will pass the smell test they forgave that based on the 1965 as 1965 act i believe that actually does give some legal authority in this regard but again, I do wonder if someone would challenge us saying this is still an attempt to usurp the court's recent ruling. Break it down. Give us your thoughts. Explain why this matters. No, thank you again for having me, man. And, and I think, you know, we have talked about this on, on two previous shows. This is a topic of conversation. And the legality of it was also um, something that you and I discussed, but also just the importance, the impact it could have on sort of just everyday Americans. And so for those who, you know, who have been paying attention, you all know that, you know, the Supreme Court by a vote of six to three, and it's the, the and the vote count was the same thing in affirmative action. So we maybe we'll talk about the connection, but really saying that, you know, in, in a, you know, in their decision that Biden administration really overstepped its authority when it announced that it would cancel, you know, $400 billion in student loans. And, and the case was really based off of the administration's 
uh, relying on something called the HEROES Act, which is a law that was passed in wake of September 11th that gave the education secretary the power to respond to a national emergency. And so you have this going on, um, but also you have the administration, which at the time had also, you know, was going to begin um, student loan repayment um, plans for students and borrowers who uh, they said were impacted by uh, the the pandemic. And so when this decision came down, which I think um, was not a surprise to many people, immediately you 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 want to say, all right, so what 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 happens next? And so uh, there was a process that actually. And again, I give you credit, um, uh, Schmeichel, you had mentioned the question of why didn't they go through through Congress? And so ironically, this is actually what the administration says they're going to do now. They knew that it would uh, potentially be a pathway, but that it would take longer. Uh, but now there's a new pathway in this sort of a formal rulemaking process that happens through Congress and really put um, you know uh, members of Congress on the, on the hot seat to be able to vote. Uh, in favor or, or or down of these things, which will impact you know Americans across all political spectrum, and so it's not a simply Republican or, or Democratic issue. But in response to that, I mean, I, I think you have again this this plan to to go go through Congress, but also other administrative uh, responses, uh, which uh, include um, this idea of uh, wiping away. And you saw this um, just recently; the administration just wiped away eight hundred and forty thousand borrowers' debts totaling $39 billion. Um, but it was also sort of something that uh, was not necessarily directly related to the, to the decision, but one that the administration says sort of follows through on some relief that so, borrowers were promised anyway. So it, it's, so, it's, so it's sort of a, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Finish your thought. Cause I want to ask you a question. Go ahead. Yeah. I was saying, so, so this recent, you know, debt, you know, debt wiping away that people are seeing is not necessarily a direct response to uh, the the, uh, the Supreme Court case, but something that they would say was already owed to those borrowers because there was sort of um, inaccurately counting of, of of sort of monthly payments under their income driven re repayment plans, and so that's that's just sort of um, I think a good news or people saying well it was already owed already owed to us so you know um, but keep that in mind. But overall, mm -hmm. uh, there are other ways that the administration I think again through this through this uh, rulemaking process in Congress. But also a new plan um, that we can get into a little in a more depth, which is called the uh, the save or saving on valuable education, which is a new income driven repayment plan that the administration is going to be rolling out as well. So you have a new income driven repayment plan. You also have the public service um, plan that you know I personally um, apply for, uh, but also this idea that we're going to go through Congress. Um, to do which so, is not we're which use... is not going to make. I mean, it's not going to pass uh, Republican Congress. It's just not even possible. But Curtis, let me let me shift gears here because the the Biden White House announced after I think maybe hours or maybe a day after the Supreme Court's ruling that they were looking at another legal route to cancel student debt, and they were looking at the Higher Education Act of 1965. And for our listeners. Uh, who are wondering, what is the Higher Education Act of 65? It's a law that was designed to provide financial assistance to post-secondary school students and to strengthen the educational resources of the colleges and universities in the United States. Curtis, do you think going this route will pass constitutionality? And if so, if challenged, that is, and if so, why didn't the White House go this route in the first place, which I actually argued that they should have. Well, I mean, I, I think the 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 
Heroes Act, you know, um, bill, which I think on at face value, um, you know, was one that I think, um, you know, was arguable. You know, I mean, I, I think people are saying, you know, we'll see what the court says, but you know, when we're going through this process of saying were borrowers impacted by COVID, and I think they were trying to equate 9/11 with with COVID, um, that you know it's up to interpretation. And so the process now, which they're going, whether it be through, um, you know, alternative pathways to get there uh, is one that I think is up to interpretation against le legally. I think there's just politics around this uh, as well. And so to me, it's, it's a little too soon to make, to cast judgment uh, about, you know, what they'll do and, and, and why they did it. Uh, but it's clear that this is a priority for the administration. I mean, I don't want to get too much into the politics, but, the president's, you know, um, sort of support by younger voters is 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 also hemorrhaging right at this yep. point, and yep. and so this idea that he he needs to be seen to be doing something, and whether you know whether it's this particular response or others, and, and whether we believe that it's it, it has any merit, it, you have to show effort, you have to show some fight, uh, and this is just one of many ways that you're going to try to do so and show younger voters that they care about them and that this issue is important. It's not just a about education it's about civil rights it's about equality and it's about opportunity and, and, and let's and we're, we're going to see curtis uh, in terms of the hemorrhaging support that the president is seeing from younger voters if it's going to make a difference he can't afford to lose too many of them uh particularly if it's him against donald trump once again republicans are pretty enthusiastic this is going to be another tight race uh today's guest my guest my good friend my dear morehouse brother curtis valentine who is a friend of the show is he's probably one of my most frequent uh guests <laughs> he's the director of reinventing america's schools a sought after mind at every level local state federal in terms of education and so if you have a question or if you want to give us your thoughts actually yes give us your thoughts tell us what you think about this recent supreme court decision a couple weeks about two weeks ago now uh, in terms of finding Biden student loan forgiveness plan unconstitutional. Do you agree with the Supreme Court? Are you surprised or not surprised? Let me switch gears here and, and ask another question. In terms, uh, there was a lot of conversations around this for about 18 months now, what this would do for African-Americans and people of color in terms of wealth creation, sustainability, and closing the overall wealth gap. Uh, generally speaking. Now, some have debated the metrics on this in terms of how much that would make a difference. Some have argued not substantially. Some have argued that this would only benefit uh, more wealthier or affluent Blacks. Some have argued this would benefit Black people, generally speaking. What is your assessment on that? And, and do you think that is now in jeopardy? Is there another way you think the administration should look at trying to close uh, that wealth gap since this plan doesn't appear, at least currently, to be moving forward? Yeah, I mean, and we've said from the outset in, in almost nearly every show you and I have talked about this, is this particular uh, action disproportionately impacted African-Americans. And so the data is clear, right? Black graduates owe $25,000 more in student loans than white students. And 48% of Black students owe 12.5% more than they borrowed. And so when I think about when this was pushed out and people were kind of, you know, trying to paint Americans, in some cases African-Americans, as, you know, someone who are trying to flake on, on their debts. You know, you took out this loan and, you know, you need to pay it back. Um, but 
there have been, you know, many of us, um, African Americans in particular, who have been paying on these loans and through ballooning interest rates and uh, other issues, have literally probably paid down um, what they what they initially <laughs> borrowed. But in this case, again, half of us are paying 12.5% more than we borrow. And, and I'm sure some even more than that. And so this, in some cases, impacts African-Americans' ability to um, to save, to invest in their own child's college education, to use that money to purchase a home, to pay down other debt, to increase their credit score. And so this is going to impact those school, those in, us as, as, a, as a people. Similarly, I would say, and this again, there's a kind of a, there's a conversation and connection to the affirmative action. There have been some universities, ironically UNC uh, included, and, and, and where I teach at the University of Maryland, where the presidents have said we're going to try to get at both, you know, the cost of tuition and and race by literally saying we're going to give all students in our state who qualify for free and reduced lunch free tuition to make you know low income students disproportionately people of color. Uh, access to college education with no cost and and no debt after the fact. And so there's ways to get to it. You have to have leadership that is, you know, really dedicated to supporting and diversity, but also lowering, lowering the cost of education and the barriers to education. And I think this is a sort of a, um, you know, uh, something that raises the alarm, both of these cases, that it's important that we have access access education as a, as a country for those who qualify and those who have worked hard to get into a school, uh, but that, you know, diversity matters as well. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. But Curtis, let's get back to this conversation on education. Do you think we'll ever get to the point where we have an affordable higher education system in this country? Because we've discussed what it would take to get there. But do you think there's an appetite to put the pressure on universities and institutions from raising costs? Do you think there is an appetite to create more federally backed grants? to provide that pathway for a greater number of middle-class and lower-income-earning Americans. Do you think we're going to see this in the next decade or so? Well, I mean, I think depending on who you ask, um, and those particularly in the work that I do um, is looking at um, K-12, but also um, community colleges, state institutions, um, public HBCUs, that 
for many, it is affordable for those who have access to the colleges um, in some K-12 spaces at uh, at no cost. And so there is a reality now, and that, that reality is even clear in my own household, you know, right here where my son is, is getting college credits at a, at a community college while he's in high school at no cost to my wife or I. And so he's going to graduate high school with 60 credits. And so there is a, there is, you know, there is a, a world where you have um, school districts, state units, states keeping costs for community college um, low. You do have universities who are, again, I mentioned before being very mm-hmm. deliberate about, about cutting costs to certain, um, you know, certain marginalized communities. You have some governors, I think will start seeing what some governments say, we're going to sort of freeze tuition for in-state students um, and, and invest in that because we understand the, the value of being competitive um, nationally and internationally. And so I, I think we're on, same time, we do have the cost of education um, gone up. You know, if you look at some cases, college and tuition and fees, you know, went up 63 percent um, from 2006 to 2016. You have, you know, cost of particularly of private institutions like Morehouse College, where we went and other Ivy League institutions that continue to raise their costs. But they're also particularly those with higher endowments are trying to target low income students with with grants and 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 cost cutting um, tools, so I'm optimistic uh, about that. That moving forward, um, that cost will not be prohibitive, particularly at state universities and in community colleges. And there's going to mm-hmm. be parents have to be really much much more strategic about, you know, their their plan for how to get you know a college degree, which may not include a private institution, uh, may not include an Ivy League institution, uh, but to get to a bachelor's degree program and an associate's degree program. Um, hey Curtis, is, I want to yeah. I want to go to the to the phone lines. I hate to cut you sure. off, but while I have sure. you, um, since we're going to sort of switch gears, I want to come back after the next break. Let's go to Norm in Florida. Norm, you're on with Sure Michael and Curtis. Thanks for calling in. Hey, how you doing, Sure Michael? This is DeSantis. Doing well, Norm. I'm I'm in DeSantisburg, not Florida. That's a new name for Florida. But anyway, this, 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 I, my opinion on this whole thing is that the Supreme Court actually has no business in in in, in touching this decision, and that uh, when you look at the, the history of the Supreme Court, anything, everything that has been passed legislatively to help black folk to be inclusive and to be uh, citizens of this country, that the Supreme Court at the United States has has eviscerated every one of them. When you look at, go back as far as even Dred Scott, Plessy B. Ferguson, uh, you know, we did have the Civil Rights Bill, but now you've got the Roberts Court. So when you look at the Roberts Courts, the Fuller Court, the Tiny Court, and the White Court especially, then you begin to see the pattern here. That, that And I think that this fits in uh, right and full. They have, you know, this is a, a program that's designed to relieve folks of the burden that the people have already paid their um, paid off the principal of these loans. They're paying in. Mm-hmm. Hey, Norm, can I can I ask you something? Yes, sir. So I agree with you in terms of addressing this. I actually had a lot of backlash from a lot of my conservative friends because I just realized that this would be really good for people of color and and I it's just hard to not support something that's going to alleviate uh, some of our economic issues that we face as a community but 
I actually didn't think, Norm, that the White House had the authority under Article 1, Section 8 of the – hear me out – of the Constitution. I thought, which is what Biden is going to attempt to do now, going through the Higher Education Act of 65, I actually think that does give him the constitutional authority to do this. And so my opinion is like they should have gone that route the first time, I think, versus – what he attempted to do, which the which the Supreme Court found to be unconstitutional. So, what are, what are your thoughts on, on that? Do you think maybe the strategy could have been a little better? Yeah, here's what here's what I, I what I, I think. The reason why we enter into the student loan or student grant program is because mm-hmm. of defense. We began back in '57 when we realized how far behind the American education system was behind that of the Soviets because they had put a satellite. Up in, up in space, and was called the National Defense Loan or our grant policy. And I had one when I went to school at Florida A&M University, the pharmacy school, and later the mm-hmm. dental school, because it was education was a part of building, the integral part of building our defense in this country and stuff. And it began to 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 to, to educate and bring people from uh, the rural area into the middle class by action and give them the type of development and, and get them employed with jobs and stuff so for the security of the country. This was a security measure for this country, and we had fallen behind. So then – No, you're right. You're right about that. I mean, Norm – Norm, Norm to, to your point of, of us falling behind, I just talked about this yesterday. Yeah. I, anchored a, I guest anchored a show yesterday, and I was researching this topic in preparation right. to, to anchor. And China, for example, to your point of us falling behind, Norm, two years ago, they pumped in, Norm and Curtis, $250 billion, uh, the government, into higher right. education. And we're you're falling behind by every metric. You're, survival, you're reading my mind. That's exactly where I was headed to. What the Chinese have done is they mm-hmm. got in under communism, okay, and educated their people. And they educated their people to the point where they began to learn. They, they, they began to master capitalism, and they're beating us at our own game. They have we, – we instead of, have, uh, have uh, thought that by educating these people, uh, there are a group of class of folks that thought, well, they're educating too many black folk and stuff. Then you come up with groups like the Federalist Society that come around and want to redirect a, a user of their, their political uh, agenda to, uh, to, to suppress black folks. And, and those are, you see the same thing happen during Reconstruction. You see the same hey, Norm. thing, and so now we're falling behind. So all of this is all one uh, uh, belongs into one class. There's Norm, no Norm, thank you, thank you now. for thank you for calling. Norm, Norm, thank you for calling in. I got some other callers, um, and I'm almost done with this particular segment of the show. But I want to say I appreciate your thoughts, in particular your focus on China. I think you're spot on, uh, Curtis. What are your thoughts? on what Norm said towards the tail end of his uh, commentary that we're falling behind to other countries, particularly China, by every metric, math, science, reading, writing, the arts. I mean, Curtis, they're they're kicking our butts literally in every category. Well, yeah, I mean, you're going to have the PISA score, which is an international measure of of eighth graders from around the country coming out this December. And you're going to see 
um, that the COVID pandemic, I think, exacerbated a lot of the, um, you know, the gaps between America and the rest of the world, particularly in math. Um, but yeah, this is a national security issue. I've said this, and this is part of the work I did in the past, which is saying we as a country look at education, mm -hmm. equality, diversity as a national security issue and give it the same amount of attention, resources, time as we give other aspects of national security to say that as a country, we will not be competitive against all these big, bad China and big, bad Russia if we don't have an educated reflects the diversity of our country. I think you're right. Uh, George out of Kentucky. Uh, George, you're on the Sure Michael Singleton Show uh, with Sure Michael and Curtis. George, if you can be a little quick uh, with your commentary, I would appreciate it because I got to get ready for my next break. Okay, one of the problems with the uh, education problems with this country is not only education. It's you, you better start looking at the economic development the, the, the situation in America. That's mm -hmm. and your and your education starts. Uh, I was one of the one of the first. Blacks probably go to integrated school. I'm 82 years old, and I took in. Uh, you said you're wait, 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 George. You said you're 83. 82. 82. Wow. Okay. Well, thanks for calling, man. That's a blessing. One of the problems with the education, I, 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 I had went to a school, and uh, was uh, was with the Kentucky, which is Murray State. You're probably familiar with it, because John John Moran went to this school, and one of the problems I found out uh, started working. I started the Pope project in, mm -hmm. in, in uh, Frisco, Texas, in 2014. Frisco, Texas, uh -huh. was open up an development. The, the, the city of Frisco, the Dallas, Fort Worth, all of them refused economic development. Re refused to help me with my project. That's where your project is at. It's a, and not only education, which is the United States has an economic what they have a apartheid against anything of color, and they mm -hmm. don't want no color. But that, that ain't the problem. The main problem is. That was a guy named Elger Claver once said back the way back when I was coming up, and he made a statement once: America was 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 like a cup of coffee, which means white on the outside, black on the inside. But he says one of these days you're going to put a little cream and sugar in it, and then when you want, that's the problem. So you cannot George, give them black. Thank you, thank you so much for for calling, um, Curtis. Before we get ready to take a break, I just want to get your final thoughts on this. Not a in terms of just the, the forgiveness aspect, generally speaking, because I, I think that's one component of this, Curtis. But I, I think, generally speaking, we really have an education crisis in the United States. I mean, you have kids in cities across this country from rural to urban who can't read on grade level. These kids are graduating high schools, not being able to compete in the marketplace. We live in a global society now. In, in many instances, having a high school diploma without either a trade or a college education is not enough uh, to to excel in any kind of competitive way. What do we need to do as a country to put our eyes on that target over the next decade? Well, it's it's, it's clear we have to make an issue for black and brown students. This has to be, as you said, um, you know, we talked about an American um, issue, a this future is an American of our country, mm -hmm. an American issue, a future of our democracy issue for all the data about how how poorly, you know, black and Latino students are doing in some areas. Uh, there are worldwide students and there are white students in some of the best districts in the world that are not reading on grade level as well. And so you need a concerted effort from K-12 all the way to higher education, from the business sector to, the, to, to labor, 
all singing from the same song sheet. This is unacceptable. We need our best minds. We need research-based institution, research-based solutions to the science of reading, to school creation, to school autonomy, how much power we give schools to make their own decisions at the school level, connections between K-12 and higher education. We have to truly unleash the potential of Americans to solve a problem that's been going on for generations right now is as if we're sort of giving lip service to it, we sort of mm-hmm. put band-aids on it. We have the potential to solve this within our own generation. We don't have a choice, Curtis. If I'll say this, Curtis. Work hard. I'll say this. Uh, a, a study came out in, what is this, 2022. 130 million American adults have low literacy skills. It's costing the U.S. economy $2.2 trillion annually. Again, this is an American issue. It's costing our economy $2 trillion, our inability to properly educate our citizenry. That has to change. Curtis, really quick before we go to break, where can people follow you to keep up to date with the work that you're doing in the education arena? Please follow me on Twitter at Curtis Everyday, C-U-R-T-I-S Everyday. You can follow the work that we're doing at the Reinventing America Schools Project at R-A-S underscore education. And you can follow me also um, on social media at Real Men Teach on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, our, our movement to really increase and retain male educators of color. And so thank you so much for, for allowing me to join, talk about um, too long forgiveness. I gotta, I gotta come back and talk about about affirmative action too, man. That's just as important. Uh, but again, thanks for the platform and keep doing what you're doing, brother. Thank you, Curtis. I appreciate you. Coming up next is Jim Pfaff, a nationally recognized public policy leader who's known for his skills in strategic management, organizational development, public outreach uh, for government officials and political campaigns. Jim has served as chief of staff for two different members of Congress, Congressman Thomas Massey, Republican out of Kentucky, and Tim Hughes-Camp out of Kansas. This is the Sir Michael Singleton Show. We'll be right back after this quick break. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this, central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. So again, my guest, Jim Pass, is joining me. Jim is a friend of the show. This is his second time being on the show. Uh, he's a nationally recognized public policy leader known for his skills in strategic management, organizational development, and public research, research and outreach for government officials, political campaigns, and nonprofit organizations. Again, he served as a chief of staff on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. to two uh, members of Congress. Jim is on because he's going to help me break down what's going on with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. So Jim, first of all, welcome to the show. You hey, and I, thanks for having me back. Jim, have talked about this a lot. DeSantis is struggling in the polls. 
several months ago. Th there was a lot of allure for to DeSantis, for DeSantis, a lot of backers, a lot of big donors. Now, many of them allegedly, and I use that word in air quotes, are looking for someone else. Jim, give us a lay of the land. What is going on in, 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 in DeSantis' world? Why is his numbers going down? Why is this guy who we were led to believe several months ago would be number one is really struggling to be number two? Yeah, you know, if you look at the uh, betting odds that, that were tracked on uh, Real Clear Politics, you find out that back in January, at the beginning of January, DeSantis had a 51% to 28% uh, over Donald Trump. By March, when uh, Trump had just recently announced, uh, Trump bumped up 10 points over him, 45 to 35. But you come down to July 11th, and Trump is at 62 to 19 on the betting odds again. You know, it, 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 this really is a combination of a couple things for Ron DeSantis. One is that he really did wait too late to announce. I was wondering, too why he didn't strike while the iron was hot. He had a lot of goodwill coming in from last year. A lot of people very excited about him and he just did not get in in time. But then you, you go the second stage of this. And now that he is out there, people are finding out he's not that inspirational driving person that people had thought he might be. And I, I think a lot of us that were watching him during COVID thought he very well may be. I mean, he was he was sharp against the media attacking him. And what we just found out on the back end is he doesn't have that inspiring message. He's not telling people, here's where we're going to go. Here's where I'm going to take you. He's doing a tiny bit of that, but not nearly enough and not in a big vision way like Donald Trump does. And, and Jim, do you think DeSantis has the ability to resonate with swing voters and I'm not talking about a huge swath of voters, Jim. I'm talking about looking at some of these battleground states where 12,000 votes will make a difference, and you may need to get 1,000 swing voters to vote for you in order to win that state. Is he capable of doing that? Because I'm not convinced that he is. Oh, I, I, I'm not seeing it right now myself, Sir Michael. It's, and, and it is kind of interesting. I don't think a lot of, like I said earlier, I don't think a lot of us would have predicted that with him. But what you're finding out, is the reason he can't do that is because he's emphasizing all the wrong things in terms of reaching those kinds of voters. So, for example, I agree with his pushback on Disney. I mean, a lot of people don't know the story, but Disney made a clandestine effort to buy up land back in the 1950s and 60s. So no one would know that they were going to develop down in Florida. Then they were able to work a sweetheart deal out with the state. And and that is what uh, Ron DeSantis pushed back against, I think, for seemingly a good reason. But the thing is, that's not the kind of thing that American voters are wondering. Uh, if, if, if they're not, It's not the type of thing that, that people are wanting, really, a, the president to press. Like, we don't have to be going after companies. That was, I think, a, a, a good effort. But it's not mm -hmm. a it doesn't say any big picture thing. What people are worried about is what's happening on the international scene. They're worried about what's happening in the economy, notwithstanding Biden trying to push his Bidenomics message, which is, has been a flop. And we can certainly talk about it if you want to. But these bigger issues that people are worried about, that doesn't address, but it's those kinds of things that he's pushing and promoting about himself. And it's just, it's not catching off with voters. 
So, so Jim, when you look at and, and assess and analyze some of the uh, sampling po sample polling that we're getting out of states like Georgia, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Iowa, New Hampshire, what picture do you see? Do you see a route for DeSantis to move up? Do you see a route for DeSantis to be competitive against President Biden? Explain that to us and, and let the audience know from your experience in politics. Do you think this guy can switch things around, let alone being competitive enough to beat the sitting president? Had he come in in the spring when he was trailing close to Trump in these betting odds numbers, which the polls were also quite similar with, mm -hmm. that might have happened. But I'm still convinced, no, I, I do not see it happening. Listen, you've already got poll. Uh, it would take a black swan event. Like it would have to take something related to the lawsuits and the legal problems with Donald Trump that is so substantive that it makes people question Donald Trump. I do not see that coming at all. I think we've got everything out there that's going to be out there. Assuming I'm correct about that, there is no path. If you look at um, the all the, the all the GOP primaries going up to um, uh, March of next year, mm -hmm. Race to the White House, a, a well-known uh, organization, Twitter handle, Race to the WH, they right now on current polls have Trump with 2,045 delegates to DeSantis is 349 just based upon right now and Trump is up 650 in recent polls he just keeps moving upwards so no I don't I don't see the path there I think he's got a real problem and he's not resonating well what happened in Iowa just on Friday I don't think helped him it didn't hurt him but it didn't help him he's just not connecting with people so will he then have a chance to run again in 2028? Or do you think the dynamics of who or what the Republican Party will look like then will have changed in such a way that voters will look for a different type of a Republican candidate? Boy, I think that we don't know what 2028 is going to look like right now mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. it will be a different kind of candidate. I can I can guarantee you it's not going to be a baby boomer generation type candidate it could be a gen x candidate but it's most likely we're going to see a gen z type candidate coming in there um maybe even a millennial one you know vivek ramaswamy is making a decent argument for the his future i don't think he's making an argument for his president at all but he's making an argument for his future DeSantis is going to have to resurrect himself from what has been a really failed effort right now. I think that's possible. I think he's the kind of guy that could do it. When I So, so what does Capitol that look Hill, like, though, Jim? So wait a minute. When you say he has yeah. to resurrect himself, what does that look like from Jim Papp's perspective? If you were advising Ron DeSantis, what yeah. strategy would you lay out to say, look, we don't have this. If we're going to stay in, we'll just stay in. But once we lose this thing, which we will, these are the steps we need to take over the next couple of years to position ourselves to be in a place to be competitive in the next four years. So I think uh, he needs to do one traditional thing and one non-traditional thing. It should have been traditional, but it's not the second one. The first one is 
he needs to go out and help candidates who are getting elected so he can garner some support from elected leaders and and build some momentum off of that and also to help the donors that he's going to need to come back around at that time but the second thing which i think is a more critical one is i would rec i would tell him to set up an organization that can really get good candidates elected that does grassroots work not just endorsements not just money giving and and he needs to radically change the policy landscape moving forward he needs to set that agenda through that organization and then he needs to go out and find candidates who are willing to support it there have been very few uh candidates on republican or democrat that have done such things and I think if he could effectively do it, he could make a case for himself. But it's going to be a challenge. We're, it, the, the whole table is going to change by the time 2028 comes around. Win or lose with Trump, everything's going to change. And he's going to have to figure out what that is. Some of us don't yet fully know what that looks like. But I, that's what I would advise him to be doing. Why, Jim, do you think Ron DeSantis was propped up as this new alternative? It, was it conservative donors was it the republican establishment was it folks behind fox news why do you think some very influential very powerful very wealthy people prop this guy up as this is the person who will ultimately become the nominee and face president biden and yet he's faltering deflating faster than a hot air balloon at a county fair i mean who could have expected this yeah there are two aspects of that the first one is there's no doubt that Paul Ryan on the board of Fox News and Rupert Murdoch hate, got, particularly Paul Ryan, hated Donald Trump so much they wanted an alternative. So they looked out and they saw the success that DeSantis was having. They said, okay, maybe that's our guy because no one else is anywhere close. I mean, to, to Ron DeSantis' credit, no one has garnered the kind of following and respect that he garnered through 2020, 2021, and, and last year. Now, mm -hmm. that's why the establishment went after him. The problem is that Ron DeSantis didn't understand this is not the time. He did not recognize that part of the reason people liked him so much is he had been so supportive of Trump before. They did see it as a disloyalty when he started thinking about running against Trump. And that's why, in, in part, why he could not gather up the support. But he convinced himself that what, what his foundation was, he only got part of what his foundation was. It was that he did some really good things in Florida, but he didn't understand that the other part of that foundation was Trump. I think he'd have been the hands-down nominee and potentially president in 2028 if he had not run this time, just mm -hmm. back Donald Trump and, and, and built his foundation off of that so that when Trump went off the scene, then he would he would be able to start from that point. That's why he's so, got so, a challenge for 2028. So, so Jim, do you see someone else, one of the other candidates, rising up as voters, those who do support DeSantis, begin to realize, okay, this guy doesn't have it. Those donors, the GOP establishment, do they begin to slowly look for someone else? And if they, if you think they do, first of all, because maybe you don't think they do, maybe they decide to stick with DeSantis, who would that alternative candidate be? So, first of all, they are abandoning him. Now, they have not, they haven't, well, abandoning's too strong. They are beginning to question him severely. There's not energy in that establishment donor class to help him out right now. They're a little bit worried about where it's going. But they don't see any other alternatives. One 
possibility is there's rumor that Rupert Murdoch would like to see Glenn Youngkin, uh, Virginia governor, pop up. And there has been talk about him possibly putting his hat into the ring. I, personally, I don't see that that's going to happen. One, two, Youngkin, who I, I have a lot of respect for Glenn Youngkin, but he is he is not the kind of person that can rush onto the scene and people can get excited about. That's a losing <laughs> proposition to try to do that. It's just not happening. Now, the other person they could go to is either a Vivek Ramaswamy or a Tim Scott. Now, I personally know Tim Scott. We used to, when I was flying back and forth, I lived in South Carolina for a while. We used to be on the plane together quite a bit. We'd sit together and talk. I think Tim Scott's a wonderful man. I really do personally like him. I'm not sure that he also has that I can grab onto you thing. Mm -hmm. But that's a possibility. And he's a guy that's worthy of respect. Now, Vivek Ramaswamy is the other one. And Vivek, who is very charismatic and capable, he's he's thought through things. He's just not yet, and by his own admission, too, by the way, he's not him. a polished swallow. Jim, I got to be honest. I think yeah. he comes off as very arrogant. I That is one huge character flaw that I think will turn people off. He's smart. I agree. He is very yeah. charismatic. I agree. Yep. But, 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 Jim, to me, he, he it's almost as if he needs attention. And I think that's a that's a severe weakness of his. I, I if I were running a candidate against him, I would figure out a way to target that because I know he has to be in front of the camera. He has to get his 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 thoughts heard, and that provides an ability for you to trip up and trip over yourself. And a good candidate well, would would use that to their advantage. Sure. Well, you and I come from the same perspective that we see a uh, a moral hazard in arrogance. Okay. <laughs> But there wouldn't be any other candidates you know of that have an arrogant attitude that could get elected president, are there? <laughs> Maybe Listen, the guy who's the front runner. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And well, actually, I almost every man that's ever held the office, by the way, I would accept with the exception of guys like Calvin Coolidge. Listen, that is not going to be the thing that trips up any candidate for good or for bad. That's not mm -hmm. going to do it. Donald Trump obviously has that arrogant approach. Um and and still got elected so that's not what trumps up uh, that trips up vivek vivek has more experience that he needs with politics having worked in that realm for 30 years now there's something about having a, a sense of the ebbs and flows of politics because even though for example with me i hate establishment republicans like mitch mcconnell like that's a real problem for me but that being said those people are still out there. You need to know how to work through that. You need to know where to respect them like you should. For example, I respect uh, Mitch McConnell when it comes to judges, okay? So I could do that, 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 even though I have other misgivings. Vivek is still learning that. So this is not his time. He may be able to do that in the future. He's going to have to do some significant things. But all that said, to answer your question, there is no alternative to Ron DeSantis at all out there right now beyond getting everything behind Donald Trump. And we'll talk about so, it later, so, so but Jim, there are a lot so of reasons that that's Jim. a good choice. So, so, so we'll, okay. So you just laid out this assessment and that I think is accurate in terms of DeSantis's problems. He's likely not going to become the nominee. So yeah. at some point, once the votes are cast, the individuals behind him will start to realize, okay, well, you know, we didn't want Trump, but I guess it's Trump again. Well, what do they do? do? Do they just stay out of this? Do they, you know, hold their noses and say, all right, well, we'll just put our money 
behind Trump because I don't really see that. I mean, you know, I, I know Speaker Ryan and, and some of these other individuals, some as well, some not as well as you do, but I know many of them do not like Trump. So what do they do if, if that is the reality that they're facing in the next several months? They get behind Donald Trump. and But th th now they have to do it from a clearly objective criteria. Like Paul Ryan's never going to. He, he yeah, we could have that discussion sometime, but he's not going to. There are plenty of other people, the King Griffins of the world and some others who have put some money behind DeSantis and willingness to support him. They mm -hmm. can objectively recognize that Donald Trump is going to change the, the uh, progress or, or the negative progress that we're having under Joe Biden, the real problems. They know that they can even go talk to him if they really think about it. Again, Paul Ryan just hates him. Even Rupert Murdoch knows that Donald Trump can do good things. So they, yeah, if they would like their businesses, they're looking at the economy. They're going to say, look, yeah. I don't like the guy, but this is good yeah. for business. It is. And and they have reason to believe that that's a good bet. So let me just this is a good segue. Let me throw a few polls at you right now in North Carolina, Georgia, Arizona, Michigan and Pennsylvania. Donald Trump is either winning or tied particularly in Michigan and Pennsylvania, where he is on, e he's even keel with Joe Jim, Biden. We have two minutes yeah, left, by ahead. the way, but go ahead. Okay. Uh, where, where he has an even bet with them. Who would have thought after these, uh, uh, these indictments that that would even be the case. In other words, Donald Trump's doing well everywhere. If there's a no labels candidate, maybe we could talk about that sometime, but this whole no labels movement, they've got a place on the ballot for a no labels candidate, the so-called moderate. If someone like that were to come in, Donald Trump wins hands down nationwide. There's a lot coming down the road. Right now, Donald Trump is truly winning the election by the yeah, poll. That's what I think. That's what I think. Uh, I, you know, I've, I talked to a lot of my friends uh, who are Democratic strategists and, you know, they don't say this stuff publicly, but when we talk via text or over the phone, they all say, dude, Biden is in trouble. There are a lot of issues here and this race is going to be really, really tight. Jim, where can people follow you to keep up with your assessment and analysis on politics? Even if they don't agree with you, you have the experience. And there is a lot of wisdom to be gained, even from people you don't agree with politically. Uh, where can they follow you? If anyone goes to locatejim.com, L-O-C-A-T-E, locatejim.com, you'll find links to every place that I'm putting out information and uh, I, I do my Against Nice podcast. 30 I have my seconds, Twitter handle, Jim. Jim Path. And then there we go. You can uh, follow Paff. me there. All my links. Jim Path, thank you so much for joining me. This is the Sure Michael Singleton Show.